Hey, good morning. It is Sunday, March 15th, 2020, and I am here at Southwest Christian Church this morning. And as many of you probably know, our, our leadership made the decision to cancel services for the next two weeks. And this decision was made to keep all people as safe as possible uh, concerning the coronavirus pandemic and to co cooperate with the community and government leadership decisions and recommendations that have been made recently. And uh, the elders and leadership here at Southwest, we will certainly continue to monitor this situation and keep all of you informed on when we might return to our normal programming and services. Uh, I know a lot of you are kind of um, scared about this. I am. We're not sure this is very unknown territory. Uh, it's happened really fast, and a lot of decisions have been made to close schools and businesses and big events, and uh, it's definitely something different for all of us um, all over the world. And so we continue to pray about the situation that God will give us the wisdom and grace to make the right decisions. And certainly we want to pray for those who have um, the virus and those who are caring for those and for those who are making a lot of uh, decisions uh, based on what we do next. So we hope you'll be in, in prayer for that. Uh, well, I'm here today to share with you the message that I had prepared, and this is a little different for me. We usually record uh, my message or the messages here at Southwest on audio, but we don't usually do that on video. So this is something new for me, and I know it may look kind of strange because I know I can see it looks like I have a cross uh, in the on the top of my head, but it's just a background behind me as you probably can see. But I'm actually here at the church this morning, and if you are choosing to tune in and watch this uh, or listen to this, I want to say thank you. I'm honored that you would uh, listen to the message this morning, and I certainly hope uh, my message uh, gives you encouragement, hope, and also maybe a challenge as well. Uh, who knew that we were during season of Lent, uh, would be giving up worship as, as part of that. It's kind of interesting when you, when you think about it. So I walk into our living room on Friday night. I had been in the dining room on my computer doing some things, and uh, for quite a while, some of my family and a family friend had been watching a movie. So I walk in uh, knowing that they've been watching the movie for a while, and when you walk in on a movie where everybody's watching, one of the worst things you can do is to start asking a bunch of questions about the movie because you don't understand because people get pretty irritated when you do that and I can understand so I didn't ask any questions I just plopped down there next to them and started watching and tried to figure out what was going on well I soon figure out that this movie is about a disease that has plagued the country and people are dying uh, when they get it and this movie is basically focused on a group of four people and these four people are two brothers and a couple of girls that are with them that seem to be their girlfriends. And they're all trying to survive this disease as it moves across the country and basically just survive so that it doesn't infect them and kill them like it has, you know, thousands and thousands of people. And how ironic I thought that we're watching a movie like this during what's happening in our, our own culture and our own uh, country right now. But what struck me about this movie is how when one of these four main characters actually somehow gets infected with the disease, how quickly they got rid of that person and left them on their own by themselves to die because they didn't want to get the disease. So they just let this person out of their vehicle and said, you're on your own now. 
and just drove off and left them to die. And I thought, wow, you know, that seems so crazy that someone would do that. But it made me think about how I would handle something like that with my family and my friends. Would I be there for them even if it was dangerous, if it was a risky situation that might mean death for me or for them? How would I handle that? But it also reminded me of a story that I heard several years back um, from the Chicago Tribune. Uh, a lot of times at the end of the year or at the end of a decade, um, news sources will put together a group of pictures or videos about the biggest stories that happened within that year or that decade. And in this particular year, 1989, uh, the Chicago Tribune had put together a series of, of pictures from uh, the decade of the 80s. And one of them was by Michael Fryer, and he had captured in his photograph a grim fireman and a paramedic carrying a fire victim uh, away from a fire scene. And the blaze which happened in Chicago, I believe in 1984, at first seemed routine, he said, but then the firefighters discovered the bodies of a mother and five children huddled in the kitchen of an apartment. Fryer said that the firefighters surmised she could have escaped with two or three of the children, but couldn't decide who to pick. So she chose to wait with all of them for the firefighters to arrive, and all of them unfortunately died of smoke inhalation. There are times when you just don't leave the people that you love, and this mother certainly proved that. Well, this week uh, I'm in the, the third in a sermon of series that we've been looking at on the last words of Jesus uh, on the cross while he was crucified. And I don't know if you've been here or not. Some of you have, maybe some of you haven't. But we've been looking at the the last words that uh, Jesus said on the cross as, as he was dying there. And what we've picked up on, and maybe you have, but I, I noticed here that Jesus continued, even in his death on that cross, not to abolish the law, as he said, but to fulfill the law and live out what he taught so clearly in his life, even when he was going through this horrific death of crucifixion. Jesus didn't just talk about the importance of forgiving others as he faced those who actually nailed him to the cross and those who plotted to put him on that cross. Jesus asked God, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And then Jesus didn't just talk about his mission to seek and save those who were lost, but he faced death as a criminal. And even though he really wasn't a criminal and he was innocent on that cross, he was crucified and nailed next to two criminals on each side of him. And even as we looked at last week, he was still seeking, even in his death, to seek and save the lost, as we uh, looked at that conversation Jesus had with those two criminals last week. And in these words we'll look at today from the cross, we will again see that Jesus is clearly living out what he taught, even in this death that he's experiencing. Listen to the Apostle John as he's the only gospel writer to record these words of Jesus to his mother and to himself, John, there below the cross. Listen as I read from John chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, his, this disciple took her into his home. Now the other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell us about Mary being at the cross and also some, some other women there, two, possibly three women. 
But over the years, commentators have debated over the names, not only in John's account, but also in the other gospel accounts, and trying to be clear who these other women were along with Jesus' mother. But John tells us that the other women that were there with Mary at the foot of the cross with John were his mother's sister, which would have been his aunt and could have been Mary's sister-in-law, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, whom Jesus had healed from seven demons possessing her. And of course, John was there, who was one of the original 12 disciples, and he's the one who gives us the account that we look at today. So my question today is, can you imagine watching your son or your daughter being executed? Would you as a mother, would you as a father want to be there to see this? But on the other hand, how could you not be there for your son's last moments? Even if you knew that your son was guilty, how painful that would be to watch that. But Mary knew that Jesus certainly was innocent. She also knew what a special child that she had born. She knew what a special man, because God wasn't just man, he was actually God in the flesh. And I don't know if Mary really... Um, completely grasped that, but she knew something was incredibly special and that certainly Jesus was from God. And I know her heart and soul must have been in so much pain as she watched Jesus die on that cross. Mary had had a lifetime of troubling messages and events related to Jesus, starting from the announcement that she would be his mother as a virgin. And Luke tells us that Mary was greatly troubled at the angel Gabriel's words when he first brought that message to her that she was going to carry God's son um, in her own womb when she was a virgin. And then later having to to tell Joseph and dealing with not only his reaction to this announcement but also to her own family and to the other folks in her community as I'm sure they were very skeptical. And a few days after Jesus' birth, when she and Joseph went to the temple to dedicate Jesus, they heard an older man named Simeon say, as he held baby Jesus, these words, This child is destined to cause the rising and falling of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul Two. And as I think about those words, Mary probably replayed those words in her mind many times over the next 33 years as she saw Jesus grow up and live. And I think she also saw the very different reactions people had to Jesus and His teaching and His miracles. And her heart was probably troubled at those reactions of people towards Jesus that would eventually lead Him to His death. I wonder if she thought as she saw Jesus dying on that cross that surely he would use the power that he has to come down off of that cross and administer justice to those who had put him on the cross. But Jesus didn't come down from the cross that day. He did address his mother as he said, Dear woman, here is your son, as he lets her know that now John will take care of her. And then John, here, is your mother's, he let John John know that, hey, I need you to take care of my mom. And also, she will be a mother to you as well. And we seem to observe here that Jesus was making sure that Mary, his mother, would be taken care of in his death. It was the firstborn child's 
legal responsibility according to the Jewish law for the to take care of the welfare of one's mother. And Jesus was certainly doing this even in his death. But we believe that Jesus actually had four brothers, um, and we know this because in Matthew 13, 55, and in Mark 6.33, there's actually the names of his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, as well as the mention of sisters. And they could have been younger siblings born to Mary and Joseph later after Jesus, or they possibly could have been children from a previous marriage of Joseph, and we're not sure. But we also know from the Gospel account that these siblings were for a long time skeptical of Jesus. They were skeptical of who he said he was, and as well as the mysterious things that he did and he taught. And it seems clear that they were not there with Mary at the cross when Jesus was being crucified. Now John was obviously very close to Jesus, and John alludes to this uh, many times in his Gospel, talking about um, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And some think maybe that they were possibly, John and James both were possibly even Jesus' cousins, but we're not sure about that. Jesus trusted that John would take care of his mother, Mary, as John let us know from that moment that he took her into his own home. And I think Jesus knew that John would benefit from Mary's wisdom, experience, and love as the early church would get started with both of them being apart. And the original Old Covenant honoring one's parents was paramount within the culture and family life in the nation of Israel. We all have heard of honor your mother and father, and we know that was the fifth of the ten uh, commandments that God gave Moses, and it was the first in human relationships. Those first four commandments deal with our relationship with God, and then the next six deal with our relationship with others. Matthew and Mark's gospel has an account of Jesus being questioned one day about his disciples not washing their hands when they had left the marketplace. And listen to Mark's gospel as he, share, as he shares with us how Jesus responds to the Pharisees asking these questions. He says, You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And as he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. So again, Jesus is fulfilling the law even as he suffers on the cross, making sure that he certainly honors his mother. There are several lessons here for us in these words from Jesus, I believe, today in these words from the cross. We are always to honor our parents and to provide for their needs when necessary. And how we respond and care for our own parents, especially in their old age, and, and even in their passing, is being observed by our own children. And they will learn from our actions. John, as a true disciple and follower of Jesus, takes the responsibility of taking care of Mary, even in Jesus' death. It's not his mother, but he takes on that responsibility. And a lesson for us is we, as followers of Christ, will have occasion to step up and help someone whose family cannot care for a loved one, or maybe has no family left to care for them. 
And the Apostle Paul in his letter to Timothy in the New Testament also teaches this very same thing here as he says this to Timothy in his letter to him. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. There is one more lesson I think is important for us to take from this scene at the cross, and I think this story will help illustrate it. In July of 1992, the local police in Beattyville, Kentucky, told Rosemary Smith and her husband Luther that two of their sons, Jeremiah, who was 15, and Drew, who was 18, were dead. The brothers were returning from a concert in Indianapolis, Indiana, and they crashed their vehicle. Darkness like nothing she had ever seen settled over Rosemary. Yet she found solace in her faith, and while the hearses um, while following the hearses to the burial site, she heard the church bells toll 33 times. And she says, as I sat there and counted, it hit me that when Jesus died, he was 33, which was also the combined ages of my two sons. Not long after her loss, Rosemary began a ministry called Fellow Travelers, a ministry in, uh, to, to other grieving parents who had lost a child. I feel like this is my mission on earth, Rosemary said of the ministry. I now have a higher purpose than what I was doing, and the death of my sons took me there. Every day, Rosemary reads the newspaper, searches the internet for child obituaries. She either calls the families or sends them special packets that consist of books on loss, a music CD, a three-ring notebook of inspirational messages, and more. She gets about 50 emails a day from people requesting one of her packets, and more than 5,000 of these packets paid for by Rosemary and her husband have been sent to families all over the world. We are here to help other people, said Rosemary. It gives me great joy thinking God is using me to help others. So as I think about that story, I think another lesson here as Jesus speaks to John and his mother as he's dying on the cross, I think is to realize that Mary and John, as well as the other women who were there, even though we might not know exactly who those uh, those women were, and there were probably others, but to realize that specifically Mary and John and these other women that the gospel writers speak of experienced that day the worst of humanity, if you think about it. They're watching the barbaric crucifixion of not only Jesus, but two other men. I can't imagine being there that day and watching hour after hour as these men who have been nailed to a cross are basically just there till they bleed to death till they die. And you, as you watch that, it has to do something to you emotionally and spiritually. And I wonder if, you know, leaving there that day, how did they have any hope? How did they have any faith after that horrific experience? But we know the good news of the gospel, don't we? We know what happened in three days. Jesus rose again. But what we also know is that Jesus stayed only 40 days after that. And even within those 40 days, he certainly appeared to people and made himself known, but it was very mysterious as he came and went very mysteriously. We also know that John and Mary participated in the beginning of the starting of the church. It was what God had planned from the very start. And after all the difficult thing they, things that they had experienced with Jesus and even after Jesus and been through, they knew being a part of this movement this church of Jesus followers was going to be very risky. They knew that they too could be killed like Jesus was, 
for what they were doing, but they did it anyway. They had the inspiration of Jesus resurrected, and they had the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit that He had promised to them as they moved forward towards starting His church. And they did start that church, didn't they? They were successful in that. And we are recipients of their faith and their actions. The story I just shared is a result of their faith and their actions still being carried on today, hundreds and hundreds of years later. The church is still called today in the midst of risk and death to carry on the work of Christ in the world. That is what He created us for and put us here on this earth. And that is what we should be about. Well, I hope you will pray for our nation today at some point with your family and possibly even your friends as a national day of prayer has been called by President Trump today considering what's going on with this coronavirus, not only here in our country, but but worldwide. So some of the things to pray for will certainly be those who are currently infected, um, those who are diligently working towards a cure and a vac vaccine uh, for the coronavirus, and those who serve in the various medical fields and treating and caring for those who are infected at this time. And also those who are making critical decisions every day for the safety and well-being of people. So as I finish up today, I would just like to say that I'll be praying for these things as well. Uh, and uh, I hope you'll be safe. And hopefully we'll plan to have another message available next Sunday. And again, we'll keep you posted as we move forward. So take care. Have a great week. And, and God bless you and your family.